Baker Mayfield, undraftable, off my board. The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. Welcome into the OBR Film Breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Burns. We are brought to you on this Blue Wire Podcast Network by TickPick. Continue to hear me talk about them. Don't have to keep mentioning it every single day because I think you get the gist. If you go to TickPick.com, T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K.com slash breakdown, use the promo code breakdown, get $10 off your first order through the site. They are the original no-fee ticket site, so what you see as a price on the screen is what you ultimately pay at the end. And if you find any cheaper seat, they will match up to 110% of that. TickPick.com slash breakdown. We are going to talk defense today. Uh, At the end of my little conversation with you here, uh, I am going to repost, reshare some of the stuff from the Twitch show we did, our Monday Rewind Twitch show. So you can check that out because I went into some philosophical stuff about the defense that I'm feeling as I've rewatched this. Talking about grades specifically from this game, Uh, I think grades can tell a little bit of a story. They're not gospel, but they can tell a little bit of a story. The linebacker group played pretty well. Uh, The top top of the linebacker group in terms of snap counts um, were Malcolm Smith and Mac Wilson, 58 and 25. Malcolm Smith obviously wore the green dot in this game. He was an important cog, and he played much better. 91.3 coverage grade, largely due to his interception as five receptions on six targets in his direction were allowed for 49 yards but anytime you turn up an interception it's going to boost your grade through the through the metrics that pff uses mac wilson and i should too mention about malcolm smith three stop tackles which are stop tackles as a reminder are tackles that constitute a negative gain for the office not necessarily a tfl but plays that are of no gain or is, is, is deemed as a loss type of play for the offense he he was uh, tied among a few others with three tackles in that department. Mac Wilson, 77.8 grade collectively, a nice game. Three tackles, assist, two solo. He did miss one, had a stop, solid in coverage, only giving up a, a well, I mean, a lot of reception, but it went for negative three yards. Sione Takitaki, a 77.2, 16 snaps were all that he played. He had a couple tackles, a nice tackle in the flat on a swing pass early in the game on the first series. Again, Pretty much their Sam Backer when they go base. So 16 snaps from Taki Taki tells you how many snaps they played base. That's always going to be your indicator. Elijah Lee stepped in for Mac Wilson and Malcolm Smith in various different situations. 61 total snaps for the defense in the game. Malcolm Smith played 58 of them. The only guys who played more, John Johnson played 61. Uh, Denzel Ward played 60. And then I think Greg Newsom also played 60 as well. Uh, so back to the top here, Elijah Lee, 11 snaps, played solid, 73.4. Miles was a 73.0, but no pressures on the day, period. Not a single one. He had one tackle, one stop play, but he was where he was supposed to be in run game. I thought he defended the run well, but the pass rush, 63.8, feels about right. I continue to say Miles is phenomenal, man, but he is he's becoming a little predictable in his pass rush. He's either bull rushing you or running the arc on the high side. I just don't see many counter moves right now. He's not getting creative. I don't know if something's up. He's still really good, obviously, but it's not producing some of those wow Miles Garrett plays that we typically see. So 
you know, it's two games. It's not the end of the world here, but it, it's something to note, right? All we can do is judge what we've seen. Malik McDowell with a 71.8, he had two pressures, a hit in a hurry. He had two tackles, a stop tackle. I posted a clip of him, man, some really innate things that he's able to do that I haven't really broken down for many D tackles in Cleveland where he can, he was rushing down in the red zone on a drop back. And as he's rushing, is able to manipulate the outside arm of the guard, club it down, and turn the corner. He got held. It wasn't called. But Malik McDowell continues to impress me. Made a nice down-the-line tackle. I think if he stays on the straight and narrow and is a guy who continues to shape his body, his work, he plays hard, man. He is constantly playing with a 100% motor. And... If I, if he trends the way I think he could trend, you could see that guy making a Pro Bowl someday. So, you know, keep your head on straight, Malik McDowell, and you have a bright future. As everybody has thought for years, it's really nice to see that coming to fruition. Malik Jackson, again, these two make a nice pairing. 70.3 total grade, 61.2 pass rush, but a 70, essentially a 70 uh, run defense grade. He had three tackles on the day, two stop tackles. I just like him. He plays effectively with his hands, good strength. Uh, another guy with a nice motor uh, and other players who played well, Grant Delpit. I wrote up a film room of Grant for his NFL debut, a nice game. He had obviously the sack that uh, all really clinched it, put the game away. So he had that sack. He had another tackle that was a TFL because that was a broken play. You have linemen downfield. The quarterback turned to hand the ball off in the wrong direction. So it's not a pass, even though he's rolling out, trying to throw it as a desperation. It's clearly not going to be given a sack when the team is not designed to pass play. That guy's downfield as they would on any run play, but still a nice play. I highlighted several plays in the film room. If you would like to check that out, that's a free film room. He ended up with a 64.4 grade, the 45.9 coverage mark because of the one target in his direction, which I documented. He bit on a pump fake when he was dropping into the low hole and, and cover three. And, you know, when you bite on that pump fake and quarterbacks out scrambling to his right, he's able to throw the deep over route and it's a 35 yard gain. Greg Newsom, pretty dang solid. I thought he was really nice in run support. He had two stop tackles. And Ronnie Harrison, too. Both of those guys were some, all three of those fellas there were your strongest DBs in the game. Um, between the two of them, Ronnie Harrison had three stop tackles. Greg Newsom had two. Greg Newsom continues to show. He had the pass interference. Again, that's his first real contested throw. It happens. Got to time those things up. You can obviously turn and play the man, but you have to you have to keep your hands off of him and time it upright. He ended up with four total tackles, though. Two stop tackles are nice to see. And he did have a pass breakup, which he almost intercepted that ball on the final drive for the Texans. Thought he should have, ultimately. Jeremiah Wusukoromo plays 18 snaps. He did have two. He only had one missed tackle, but they gave him a low metric in, in tackling. I thought he was funny. He had a pass breakup. I continue to think they're not playing JOK a ton yet because they're trying to keep his knowledge base, what they're asking him to do in nickel situations. And when you ask him to just learn nickel defense and his responsibility there, you eliminate some of the mental mistakes. He could eventually become an every-down linebacker for them. I think it's going to happen. He's too talented. He's too skilled. Posted a couple clips of him in, on Twitter today. It could happen. It's going to happen. He's too skilled. But for now, they're keeping it simple with him and allowing him to learn some things. I saw two mental mistakes in coverage about where he was going that I was pretty confused about. Tack McKinley, three pressures. Jadevian Clowney, four pressures. 30 snaps for Tack, 46 for Clowney. Not great metric games, but I thought they pass-rushed pretty effectively. They're just not making sacks happen. But like I said, four pressures for Clowney, three for Tack, three hurries for Tack were his three pressures, uh, two hurries and two hits for Clowney. He almost had a sack on the last drive. Jordan Elliott was solid, 53.6 grade. 
played 24 snaps, didn't really didn't really show up anywhere, but I, I just think he's a nice rotational D tackle at this point, which is a which is a win based on where he was in his rookie season. Troy Hill, Denzel Ward, John Johnson, guys that you're counting on to be your best secondary players all struggled. Uh, five of six targets Denzel Ward's way were caught, 90 yards. I just didn't think Denzel showed up. He's a step behind all day. He didn't play with maximum effort. Uh, he's not the sticky one-on-one corner that we thought. We know he We've seen it. We're, we've been doing this long enough. We know who Denzel Ward is. He just was off. And I, I don't know. It's largely indicative of my tweet where I thought the Browns sort of just, and this is not meant to be negative. I just think they, they sh- you, you think you can show up and win sometimes and you can go through the motions. And they're like, 25 examples of plays where I thought some guys just quit early. You know, these games, not all games at the NFL level are fun. Yeah, it's cool. It's the home opener. The crowd's rowdy, but you don't want to play the Texans, man. Like, you know, you're supposed to win, but it's a bunch of dudes trying really hard on the other team that are veterans who are fighting for their NFL life. And it's just a miserable game. Like, you don't want to get hurt. You would, you would hate to get hurt in a game like this. That's what you feel for Jarvis. Because it's not a team that's going to be competitive. The Texans are going to be stupid and win five or six games they shouldn't lose out on a good pick. But, you know, I don't know. It's just like I'm not bothered by it. I think lethargy happens in a 17-game NFL season. You're not going to go play balls to the wall every single game. You're going to have coasting games. And that's where upsets happen. We're like, how the hell did that team beat that team? This is a situation where it could have happened to the Browns. Now, they won by 10, which is great. Some things broke their way. But to my larger point, like it just happens. And for Denzel, it just was it just was ugly. Like he had a 44.5 coverage grade and I thought he was a step behind and he just didn't play that hard. Troy Hill, I'll have to go again, watch more of it. He only he only he him and John Johnson didn't allow a catch. They both had a one target in their direction, but didn't allow a catch. But I thought I thought John Johnson on the very first play of the game, if you recall that deep slant that was thrown, he bit hard on the RPO was a non-impact in cover three. Doesn't get credited with that. Denzel does. Uh, Troy Hill gave up a couple catches that weren't credited his way either. They didn't grade his coverage very well. You need those guys to have better metrics. Now, I don't know how much of it is them, how much of it's a scheme they're playing, their state of mind. You know, obviously week one was a disaster for them from a production standpoint. So it's not time to panic over these guys. I still, I mean, they're obviously good. It's just a, it's just a concerning start, which I will talk about my level of concern versus panic later when I when I go on my semi rant on the Twitch where I, I explain my philosophical stance on this defense. So, you know, I'll save that for later. I just kind of really want to cover the metrics with you guys. They were uh, so like I said earlier, Grant Delpit played 26 snaps. 22 of those snaps were with Ronnie Harrison on the field, so they were playing three safety looks and of. Troy Hill's 37 snaps, 21 of those came in a dime look. So they were they were mixing up usages, getting a lot of those guys like Ronnie Harrison came down into the to the box to play dime backer, which means you have three safeties and three corners on the field and one linebacker with your four down linemen. So that's the thing they did, which is encouraging. I like that. The personnel was on full display. I think Grant Delpit, I, I'll, I'll put it this way. John Johnson has played average to below average now for two games I think when you go back and watch the film room I wrote up of John Johnson to me 
I think he's a guy who likes to get down near the line of scrimmage, bump and run with tight ends, play the run game, fill his gap and run fits, and then also be able to half field cover. Like I would play John Johnson less as a free safety and more as a strong safety, play Ronnie Harrison in the box and in the slot, and then play my opinion here. I would play Grant Delpit as your free and, and, and open up John Johnson to be the guy, the, the multi faceted safety that you signed who can do a bunch of everything I just don't, he's not an uber athlete, John Johnson. So like he got beat on that deep post by Cooks and it just landed inside and didn't, Cooks and Davis Mills were on the wrong page, but that could have been a touchdown. He's not like a rangy center fielder. When I went through his film and wrote up everything, him playing true free safety was the one I liked the least for him. So I just hope that they tweak that up. If they view now Grant as healthy, they can tweak that up a little bit and use him more down in the box and get creative with him in rush scenarios or covering slot players or covering tight ends. Like that to me is what he's really, really good at. And that's what the Rams did. They got so creative with him and that's where he thrives. I just, I think pinning him back 15, 20 yards from the ball as often as they do is a disservice to the, to the player. And I think sometimes that leads to John getting disinterested so far. So I'm sure they flush this all out when they sign him. They talked about the role that they envisioned for him. I just don't love it right now. So I do love the uptick, I will say, in the personnel. I, I like getting more DBs and less linebackers. Mac Wilson only playing 25. Sione Takitaki is playing 16, telling us that they were in base only 16 times. That's encouraging to me. A large step in the right direction. It's not that I don't think the Mac and Sione Takitaki can play in base. They were fine. They graded well. I just prefer to have more athletic players on the field and more DBs. Like That, to me, is what I really like. So take that for what it's worth, not trying to knock anything, but like, that's the the thing that stands out to me is uh, I was encouraged from an encouraging side of things. I really liked uh, how they use the personnel. So like I said, Malcolm Smith gave up five catches on six targets for 49 yards. He did have that nice interception, but again, that interception was thrown because Davis Mills just, he just leaves it inside. It was a bad throw. It wasn't greatly covered. It was a, it was a sort of a, a angled dig. It was a dig concept that he gets behind him in zone and works inside, and the ball was thrown behind him. I think it was thrown to Cooks, but I can't be sure off the top of my head. Denzel Ward, five catches on six targets, like I said, 90 yards. Gave up four first downs, 34 yak yards. And again, that one to Nico Collins that went for 32 yards off the snap, I think that that throw equally goes to both. Nico, or sorry, goes to both Denzel and John Johnson because John Johnson was a non-factor on that in cover three. And I think Denzel's expecting a little bit of help inside there. So that tells you the, the difficulty that is RPO and those play actions that have run action. Run action is different than play action. Run action is where your linemen are pulling and selling some sort of run. You know, maybe a tight end slicing to the backside. Like that's run action. That's That's the stuff that sucks up the second level and third level of defenses. Play action is more like, just a show between the quarterback and running back where your where your O-linemen are getting into play action, like getting into O-lines, getting into pass pro off of it. Maybe a first forward step, but then really kicking back and forming that pocket. So uh, Greg Newsom does have the one penalty, but he has a pass breakup. They did credit him with giving up the uh, touchdown to Brandon Cooks that was caught. Um, on that play, that was just a terrible goal line miscommunication between between Newsom and Hill, like that can't happen, man, where you just get so easily picked outside. It was, it was really terrible. 
embarrassing, really. I mean, like that stuff you can't. It was such a popular scheme. That little little drive pick slide under route on the goal line has swept the NFL the last five years. You can't let that happen so easily. That made the score 24-21, and it got uncomfortable again. Luckily, the Browns went down to score. So three targets for the day in, in Newsom's direction. He did have the one pass interference. He did have the one pass breakup. So, again, I think Newsom's playing really good, though, for a rookie. Like, he's playing really well for a rookie. I have no problem with where he's at. Very oily hips, man. Moves fluidly in and out of cuts. Has a good feel for schemes. Grant, you know, Grant, sorry, not Grant Delpit, but Greedy Williams, not a single snap. They 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 don't see him as the a part of their upper echelon DB fold right now. He played eight last week and, and should have given up a touchdown week one. I think the writing's on the wall. He's a depth player right now. Maybe he becomes more as he comes back and gets more comfortable. But right now, it's, it's, there's just not much going on. Uh, Ronnie Harrison gave up uh, three. He had three targets his direction. He gave up two catches for 39 yards. I thought the, uh, the throw to Jordan Atkins uh, that ended up being a catch that he, the big tight end, number 88, he, he spun the ball. That was a man situation where Ronnie Harrison was right where he needed to be but just didn't get a hand on the ball. That ends up going for a 17-yard first down. And then they also credit him. I guess they got to credit somebody at, at PFF here. They gave him the Philip Lindsay, which is ironic, that same scheme the Browns ran in 2018 against the Falcons, if you recall. It's where you fake run, fake the orbit motion reverse, and then drop it back to your running back for a screen after he faked uh, the initial the initial carry. They did that in 2018 uh, against Atlanta, and they brought it out at Cincinnati in 2018. They tried it in 2020, but it failed against somebody. I can't remember who it failed against, but it's a fun scheme if you get a you get a jacked-up, zealous defense going crazy. JOK had three targets his direction. Two catches were allowed for 16 yards. Amendola for nine. Brandon Cooks for seven into his curl-flat zones. He did have a nice pass breakup on a Farrow Brown target in the fourth quarter. Tony uh, Sione Takitaki had two targets his direction. He gave up one catch for negative one yards. Nice job of tackling Mark Ingram in the left flat. Mac Wilson, two targets his direction, one catch. Tackled Brandon Cooks for negative three on a screen play. Like to see that. Grant Delpit does give up the one catch that I referenced and is in his film room for 35 yards where he bid on a pump fake, dropping into the low hole there in cover three, and the over route gets behind him. John Johnson doesn't give up any yards, but he sure as hell should have been credited with more and could have gave up a huge touchdown. And Troy Hill, uh, again, terrible metrics, but didn't give up a catch. So anyway, going back to, to the start here, I thought the Browns did a nice job with personnel. I thought they actually did in the fourth quarter when things got uh, past predicting situations. It was 31-21. They did a lot of twisting and looping. Again, just I feel like they've been a little bit unlucky with some of that too, with like being right there and not getting the quarterback down or getting a hand on him. It's tough. Sometimes football is, <laughs> is circumstantial and luck-driven, and we don't always want to admit that. But defensively, I'm going to share my philosophy on Twitch with some of the things where I'm at. There's going to be some offensive questions in this session, but I think, and I, I will go way deep into the offense tomorrow. We're going to have a, a chalk talk session as well that we'll post, uh, that'll go live tomorrow night. I'll be on, if you're listening to this on Tuesday, I'll be live at 7.30 Tuesday night. Check that out where I'll talk about Baker and the O-line uh, with Kyle Murphy. Yeah, just there's some offense questions, but the the core of my defense issues I lay out in here, so... Let's uh, let's go ahead and get over to that Twitch show right now, and we'll cut it short at the end, and then I'll, I'll be right back to uh, to close us out. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Let's get the big man himself in here. Uh, the best film breakdown guy in the city, guy that uh, is my friend, a uh, guy whose beard game is absolutely as strong as it can get for this time of the year, Mr. Jake Burns. Thanks for joining me here, Jakeish. Yeah, what's happening? Uh, well, uh, we've got uh, we've got a bunch of questions for you. We've got uh, all kinds of stuff. I know you put out a, uh, a film breakdown article on uh, the guy that a lot of us are excited about and both Fred and Cody touched on. Uh, you put out a tremendous film breakdown article on the rookie, not rookie, uh, Grant Delpit, number 22, the safety for the Browns out of LSU. So I'm just going to open it up for you right here. Just go ahead and talk. Tell us about the article. Tell us what you thought of his uh, debut yesterday and what you see from Grant Delpit moving forward for this defense. Yeah, a bunch of different alignments. What you liked about Grant coming out of LSU was that, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, dealing with a bit of a cold, um, is that you can you can put him all over the place, right? He He played like 17 snaps at free, I think he played eight snaps or so in the box and then a couple in the slot. And then one time he went out wide as a wide corner to cover running back and man to man. So the versatility stuff is great. I thought he looked really twitchy, which is also a thing you want. A guy coming off of a, a, an Achilles injury is never easy. So you want them to feel comfortable planting, driving, moving off of that foot. I did not see any hesitation. He had three or four plays where I thought he stuck his nose into contact and delivered hard hits. Also, what you want to see for a guy who hasn't played in a while and had that reputation coming out of college. Maybe not the best tackling reputation, but it was never for a fear of hitting or, or putting his nose into contact. So uh, I like that from him. He got beaten coverage on the last drive the Texans had. Uh, believe it or not, Steve, that they allowed Davis Mills to sneak out of the pocket to the right. And when he did uh, down, bump down uh, into coverage, he was cover three and Delpit was kind of covering that low hook area. As he, as he cheats down from the safety spot, that's what they'll do is they'll take it from a two-high safety to a one-high safety, and they'll roll one safety back. I don't know if you can see. Whoa. I don't know if you can see my hands, but you take one and you roll it forward. He's the guy who came forward, and there was a cross, a deep over route right behind him, and he was trying to jump it. The pump fake got him, and then uh, Mills was able to deliver the football behind him. That was the only real contest in coverage, so his coverage grade wasn't great, but I thought he was in the right places when he needed to be. You know, not every pass coverage scenario you're gonna have you're gonna be challenged, right? So, uh, I didn't think he was challenged a ton, but again, he played nearly 30 snaps. He gave them the flexibility to play Ronnie Harrison in the box and as a nickel backer, which was a really fun thing to take a look at. 
And it, again, for him, he has the flexibility to play all over. And that flexibility to play all over means that he can play, allow them to play other players in other places. And that's a huge benefit. And I, and again, I think he's a really good football player. He can do a little bit of everything. It was a lot of conversation about Jeremy Chin and Antoine Winfield, two guys I really liked in the draft. I definitely liked Grant Delpit too in that class last year. Uh, so, so I was not bothered to get him where they got him with, which was a pick in front of Antoine Winfield. So yeah, everything you wanted to see from him as, as a rookie, especially a rookie, not only dealing with an Achilles injury, but a significant amount of time missed with a hamstring. So all in all, really good. I posted about eight clips in the article. You can go in, check those out. That's a free article today. I'll have up over the next two days for only subscribers to the OBR website. I will have uh, all 22 scouting notes and clips from things I noticed today and uh, all, all that intricate stuff about the offense and defense, personnel groupings, uh, percentages, performances, all of that. So uh, everything you could really want to understand what happened in the game. So check that out over the coming days. But yeah, I feel good about Grant. Um, and you mentioned something that uh, we talked about all off season because the whole three safety dime was such a large topic of discussion for the past six months. And I noticed it in real time yesterday and I was excited <clears throat> to when you said that Grant would be your, um, your first film uh, article from this week, because I wanted to see how it, uh, if I was seeing things correctly, the fact that Ronnie was able to play closer to the line of scrimmage, the fact that John was able to play a little closer to the line of scrimmage and do more things because they know that Grant is there and the three of them together have such a widely varied skill set. They can do everything that you need to do. But Ronnie made that one play in the backfield down on the goal line. Uh, they ended up giving up a touchdown anyway, but it was still a nice play. Uh, he's better down closer uh, to the line of scrimmage, correct? And Grant's just his presence, you know, uh, even while he's still ramping up and getting back from injury, simply his presence there will, in, in theory anyway, improve the defense up there closer because Ronnie can play that, uh, you know, what would traditionally be considered another linebacker role, correct? Yeah, I think Ronnie's a bit more physical. I think he's more comfortable playing down there. He's a He's a guy who has some experience from his Alabama days, right? Stock and shed, that kind of stuff. I think that that is definitely a role that Ronnie is more comfortable playing. Uh, I, I think both of them, as you know, and I, I'm not insinuating you said this, Steve, in any way, but both of them can play free safety, split high safety. They can do it. I think Grant's just a little bit more natural at it, and I think Ronnie's a little bit more comfortable playing down toward the line of scrimmage. And, uh, and, and really shout out to Ronnie for the hair color, which is almost, uh, <laughs> almost perfect Cleveland Browns hair. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I think that again, those two, two plus John Johnson give them a nice safety trio and it's a bunch of guys that can do a bunch of different things, but also are pretty good at things that, uh, on the top of their skill set list. Like I think Grant can play a mean single high free safety, but I also think he can come down and play slot corner. I think Ronnie can play split safety and then also come down and be a box strong safety when needed or a dimebacker, nickelbacker that we were talking about a little bit earlier. Uh, really, it would be a dimebacker. But yeah, like they he can he can handle that. And then I think John Johnson, as we know from his time before Cleveland, is an all around defensive back that can do a little bit of it all. Uh, but they got to play. They, they got to play better, Steve. They, they've got to put better efforts you know, two games in and John Johnson's grades are nowhere near where he's been in his NFL career. So we got to we got to figure out what's going on uh, be between how they're playing and, and the approach at which they're they're trying to confuse quarterbacks, which I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit. Uh, quick shout out to the chat. Our friend Paul Spencer just gifted five subscriptions, uh, tier one subscriptions. Thank you for that. And welcome. 
uh, to all of the uh, folks who got their free subscription. Uh, you are now subscribers. You just increased your chances of winning stuff when we do ticket and other merchandise giveaways here. Now, uh, talking about Grant and specifically that sack play, Miles, um, who has a very uh, Batman villain-esque look going today, which I appreciated. Uh, very Nicholson as the Joker kind of look, um, was asked about uh, the sack play. Ian's got that clip up. He had some interesting stuff and some funny stuff to say about Grant Delpit and the sack play in particular. Go ahead, Ian. How good was it to see Grant Delpit make his debut and then also make that, that big play? That was, a, that was a hell of a hit. And, uh, man, I wish we could have recovered the ball, but you know, I'm, I'm dropping back in coverage thinking, you know, why the hell am I back here? <laughs> but I'm like, I, I'm going to make a play. I'm going to just try to get in his way. Hell, if I can get a pick, I'm going to do it. But I see him coming off free. I'm like, oh, this is going to be ESPN top 10. And, uh, man, he laid, a, he laid a hit on him. And, uh, man, he made his, his presence known. Yeah, so uh, first of all, again, love the outfit. And no, Cody, I'm not wearing it. I, I can barely wear anything. I look like a dork in, in anything that I put on, so I don't even try to have nice clothes anymore. Uh, second, I know you're with me. I'm not a huge fan of dropping a guy like Miles into coverage. You're going to pay him $25 million because he's one of the best pass rushers on the planet. Let him rush, let him rush the passer. I understand why they do it once in a while. I get that. Um, but uh, talk about what you thought on that particular play uh, just quickly before we move on. Yeah, I. Uh, they, that's not the only time they dropped Miles. What they did was try to confuse Houston and uh, basically make them slide protect, but they didn't really force them to slide protect. All they did was drop out both defensive ends and bring a safety to pressure from deep. So what happened is, because I was, I was actually texting with a friend about that play, is they released the back onto a route, and then the right tackle, after Tack McKinley dropped, and Tack was on the, the, the side that Grant was on. Miles was actually on the opposite side. Uh, you know, so Tack drops. The right tackle turns his eyes inside to help the guard and doesn't ever see Grant coming, you know, off the edge. And it was a, it was a rush from depth, which I'm not a huge fan of rushing from depth unless you drop a lot of people into coverage, which they did, to their credit, drop a lot of people into coverage there. Yeah, so that that's what happened. I mean, the back wasn't there to protect. The right tackle gets his eyes pinned down inside. Miles makes a... Or sorry, Grant makes a. I, I it shouldn't be undersold. I wrote that in today's article. It's a good clean hit. You know, a lot of times rookies with a bunch of ambition to make a huge play will, you know, lower the crown of their helmet and hit somebody and draw a penalty or hit him in the head. Or, I don't know. Just you know, we know, we've watched too much Cleveland Browns football to know that plays that make all too much sense to be made get uh get get disrupted from some silly decision. But it was just a good clean hit, right? Like, and it caused a fumble and. Unfortunately, the Browns weren't there to recover it, but that's okay. You know, you got out of that situation, missed field goal. Yeah, I people have kind of made a big deal out of Miles saying, well, he doesn't like the scheme. Well, not I know not one single pass rusher likes to drop into coverage. They'll never they'll never say, hey, man, that was a really fun drop into that uh, fire zone we did right there. Just loved it. They're never going to say that. They make their money off of sacking the quarterback, so they're never going to be happy about it. So, you know, it is – it's like, don't read into that comment all too much. You know, I don't want to drop miles out into coverage five times a game, but a couple times, if you think you have a really predictable situation, like, hey, man, it's third and four, and they love, love to run this backside crosser, and if we drop this this defensive end from the front side, we have a chance to cut underneath that thing. So, yeah, the, I'm not, I'm not all too against that, but but again, don't 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 do it ten times a game because that's not what Miles is paid ninety five or whatever million dollars a 
contract length is I don't even know the specific number. Someone can yell at me, but he's paid a lot of money and he's not paid a lot of money to drop into coverage. But for the most, I mean, it's, we're not, we're complaining or miles is complaining a little, but they made a great play. You know, that's, they need more of that. I don't care. I don't care who gets the sack. I don't care if it's a, you know, I don't care if it's Baker, they sub Baker in it outside. Who cares? Just, you got to find ways to get home to the quarterback and confuse them. And that's what I talk about so much is right now, offensive coordinators and quarterbacks, they're not confused by what the Browns are doing. Everything they want to do is there. And when they do get kind of confused or kind of have to come off of a look, they're able to escape the pocket quite easily. So yeah, they need to get guys to hang on to the rock in the pocket. That's how they're going to make plays because we talk all the time about the coverage is better. The personnel is better. It should hold up longer. Well, yeah, it should. But if you're covering grass and you're not covering people and there's no deception into how you're playing your coverage, you're never going to be able to stop quarterbacks from a getting the ball where it's supposed to go and B from OCs dialing it up right to the perfect spot. Right? Like, that's just the nature of the business. You got to confuse people. You got to get the OC to call the wrong play. Got to get the quarterback to have his eyes in the wrong spot every now and again. If you don't, I mean, it's as easy as a it's a rhythm thing. One, two, three, ball out. You're never going to get pressure. And again, when you're just worried about trying to get home all the time, maybe sometimes you aren't really calculated about your move approach. And we've talked about these guys on the Browns at the edge positions are just running the arc almost every time. It feels like I would bet it's over 80 percent, Steve, where they're where they're running the arc. They're afraid to win inside. They're afraid. They're damned if they do and damned if they don't. They're going outside right now, causing upfield and then lateral movement. And you would think that your defensive tackles would be in a better position to help out with that, but they're not disengaging enough. So then the quarterback's able to slide out and either run or make a throw on the run, putting stress on zone coverage. So okay, you spin inside, then he wins on the outside, right? A quarterback can duck outside. So I don't know. It's like a. It's like having the yips right now a little bit for your pass rush where you just don't feel like you can do anything right. You know, two sacks through two games is not that's not where we thought they would be at this point. We definitely thought that the way those two are practicing in the preseason, that we would see better production from them right off the bat, especially those two. And we know what we've seen from Malik McDowell, right? Like, again, not to to take anything from Malik. I think he's got three pressures on the year and he's leading the team in pro football focus overall grade. So. You know, Malik Jackson, too, I thought they had a solid week one, but they just have to convert. They have to convert these pressures into disruptive plays. They're not getting enough of that right now. Yeah, and I think uh, an offensive line like the one coming to town on Sunday might be uh, at least part of the cure because I think you're right. I think doing the same thing over and over is one of those things that has jumped the shark. In case you didn't know, Jake, 44 years ago today, Jump the Shark episode of uh, Happy Days happened. And so I've been trying to list some things that I think uh, in the NFL and for the Browns have jumped the shark. I would say that dropping your edges, your pass rushing edges into coverage is one of those for me. Question here from the chat from our good friend Shruni01. Always active here, always active in the OBR.com forums. We love having you around, Shruni. Uh, will you be looking at the film for DPJ this week? I know there wasn't a lot because he didn't get a ton of snaps this week, but why is he not even close to the guy that we saw in the preseason is you just not separating what's going on i don't know i mean i can look this up while we're talking i just don't know that he's had a ton of opportunity like the browns ran a ton of 12 personnel and 13 personnel to start the year here and especially 12 and 13 when yesterday's injuries uh, to, when the injury happened to jarvis so i just i don't think donovan's doing anything wrong i, I just think that the ball hasn't come his direction a few times he obviously did have a nice catch there in uh, 
in the second quarter, right? They were driving and just happened to be that Reed put his helmet right on the football, but he had separated really nicely on a little right. skinny uh, on a five-step slant, and he was open. He caught it, just the ball perfectly like wedged out. I I don't really think that it's uh, it's something that we need to really panic about per se, right? Like I think that collectively Donovan's going to be okay. It's just a matter like wide receiver target share is just kind of low right now. It's not just him. It's kind of everybody. I'm trying to pull this up and look at receiving grades so I can get a feel for how many routes the dude has even run. Um, sometimes they'll give you this answer quickly. Sometimes I don't have to search for it. Not a big deal. But, you know, for now, I think that I wouldn't worry too much about any one receiver. I think they're doing fine in total. Again, they've. I think we can feel like two games takes like the time of seven games, right, Steve? Where, mm-hmm. you know, you're talking about jump the shark. Like, let's – uh. Let's let it play out, right? Let's let it play out, and I think they're gonna they're gonna have opportunities to get him the football, and he'll be okay. I think he'll get chances down the field at some point. Uh, I I don't have the specific number of route, routes run, but there's no doubt he hasn't been targeted enough. But I don't I don't think the snap count has been all too high to sort of justify that. I, I'm trying to find it in the heat of the moment, Steve. You never can find quite what you want to find. <laughs> <laughs> right when you want to find it. I'm trying to just find the number of snaps he's even played total in, in pass game. Let's see if we can figure it out here. So he's only been on the field for 50, 50 pass snaps. Now, some of those are, are plays where you don't even get targeted, uh, or some of those are plays where you're blocking or something like that too, like right, screen sure. game, stuff like that. I, I you know, I, Baker doesn't hold away from anybody. So if he's open, he's going to eventually find him. He's actually leading the team in pass snaps at 50. The next highest is Schwartz with 35, Hooper with 34, Najoku with 31. So those are snaps they've been on the field that have been directly related to the pass. He's got a game coming soon. It, it'll happen, you know, with Jarvis being on the mend for a bit, Odell coming back, and they're they're kind of being patient, cautious with him. Maybe even mm-hmm. when he does play, he's gonna he's gonna get his opportunities. It's just like they wanted to get the football out quick this past week, and when you want to get the football out quick, it's going to result in a lot of. Uh, a lot of quick throws to people lined up in the slot, right? Because that's where zone coverage holes typically are in the slot. And then the week before against KC, they ran so much play action effectively, they almost had predetermined destinations to go with the Rock when they came off of those plays. So I'm not here to panic about Donovan Peoples-Jones. I mean, you can be upset about the fumble. I think he would, he's more upset than you are, that's for sure. He's hes pretty bummed about it. So uh, I, I, I like Higgins. I like I – like, Donovan Peoples Jones. I like the addition of Schwartz. And then if you get Odell back, it's that's four good receivers and I think three pretty effective tight ends. Yeah, we'll talk about because you had a great screenshot this morning uh about Anthony Schwartz. Just because guys aren't getting the ball doesn't mean they're not open. We saw that with Odell a ton last year, um, before he got hurt. Um, and yesterday Anthony Schwartz had a sure touchdown if Jack if uh Jack Conkun can hold his block for three quarters more of a second or something like that. So I know you'll talk about that in a minute, but another question here from the chat from OG Philly, who is one of our uh, subscription gifting maniacs. We love having you around OG Philly because you, you throw money around like you're, uh, you know, drunk at the club. Uh, Jake, from, from what you've seen, and I mean that in a good way, uh, from what you've seen, what does JOK need to improve to get more snaps? Because I've said several times, people have asked me, I said, look, I'm not there, and I can't break it down the way Jake and some other people can. But if the coaches think he's not ready, they're not going to put him in. As soon as they think he's ready, a guy with that much speed, that much talent, that much reaction time, they're going to play him. So what specifically have you seen? And remember, everybody, it's only two games. 
Okay, it's a very small sample size. But what have you seen from JOK specifically that you think he needs to work on to become a more permanent fixture on the defensive side of the ball? Well, I think they're not they're not convinced he knows the defense well enough to play base and nickel. I think what they're doing, this is my guess again, it's kind of con- it's pretty conjecture filled here, is that they're saying, hey, we we want him to focus on how to handle nickel situations, what to do from the nickel will position. And that's the only thing we're going to put on his plate right now. We're going to ease him in slowly. And I think he had 18 snaps. There were two snaps specifically that I sent to our good friend, John Stephenson, uh, all 22 chalk talk about, it just doesn't look like he's going the right direction in pass pro. So I think there's, there's some mental mistakes happening here and there when he gets it right though, it looks, excuse me. When he gets it right, though, it looks really good. Uh, I posted a clip, man, on a on a nice stutter move inside the tackle box to make the left guard miss and make a great tackle at the line of scrimmage for only two yards. So when he gets it right, it looks good. But again, you know, not all rookies come into the NFL and are just ready to hit the ground running. And and, and I think he's he's been given a really privileged position to play nickel. We hope that they're gonna they're gonna uptick in their nickel back uh, for nickel formations their four two five stuff as they keep going here. But for now, his role is small and they're trying to make sure that he knows it and he effectively executes it. They think they're going to play a lot of nickel. They want him to be ready. This past game, the Texans played a lot of two tight ends. And when they play 12 or 21, the Browns always match it with base. We'll see. They like Mac Wilson for now and base because he, they think he's a better inside the tackle box run game defender. Now there's no doubt Mac is not a player in space. Like he just, he cannot play in space. But if you put him inside the tackle box, he seems to be relatively okay. And then they like Taki Taki as a third run defender on the field from that position too. So, you know, I, I don't think it's worth over overreacting about. I haven't seen enough from JOK in coverage quite yet. He hasn't been challenged enough. We'll see as it goes. I do think he, he generally, when he knows where he's going, he gets there effectively and he's right where he needs to be. But Again, you, you got to get opportunities to make plays on the football, right? And far too often the throws that are being made are in other positions right now that you wouldn't expect, such as going at number 21, right? So uh, it's it's for, for JOK, just keep keep going, keep plugging away, you know, stay steady. I think he's going to continue to see an uptick in snaps over time, but I think they're being pretty wise here and playing it patient with him in a position that has a lot of mental processing uh, to know where you're supposed to be. The last thing you want to do is damage the young man's confidence to the point that he doesn't feel like he belongs, right? So uh, they're in a nice position where I think their base guys are okay, and JOK can focus on being a pass situation linebacker right now. Yeah, as you like to say, uh, the worst thing a football player can do on the field is think, and you don't and want lose their to... lose their confidence, Steve. Like exactly. ask any guys about this stuff. The Brandon Thorne, who I respect more than anybody on offensive line play, is is all over twitter he's very he's grown i mean i knew you you too steve you knew brandon when he wasn't as known as he is now but he's he's really gained league-wide recognition with with duke and those guys who, who study o-line play and teach it and like they talk about it all the time the the thing that you can really ruin a player over is a lack of confidence these guys come into the nfl with all the confidence in the world and this game can humble you so freaking fast and if it humbles you past the point of man i don't belong here anymore right well i can't get it right you lose a player so yeah i think that some of it is hey we want to bring this young man along slowly we already know that he had missed time at the beginning of training camp which is a huge installation time so you got to keep that in mind a little bit 
I just I'm not going to panic if he's not playing 40 snaps a game right now. Like I think that there's a plan in place. They also have done a nice job of moving Ronnie Harrison down to play dime backer on occasion too, uh, just to to have an even higher influx of speed. So uh, they're going to get creative. They're going to do some different things, and 28 will continue to see the field an important place too at the same time. A couple quick shout outs to the chat. Uh, thanks to CBUS Writer for gifting five tier one subs <clears throat> over there. Thanks to D Whalen927 uh, for uh, cheering a thousand bits. Uh, we've had 35 uh, new subscriptions, and uh, I think it said uh, 1,300 bits cheered or something like that. We appreciate all you guys. As, as we said, um, it is September. So if you want to buy a subscription or gift some subscriptions, they are 20% off. Uh, you can see what happens when we do that. Uh, in the chat. Uh, you uh, said something about Anthony Schwartz. Uh, uh, if you want to talk about his play yesterday, um, especially that one where he got open deep um, or just the offense in general, I, at this point, I'm just going to, we've got a few more questions that we'll get to, but at this point, I just want to open it up to you. Uh, tell us what you thought yesterday from an analytical point of view. I think we all know what we all thought from a fan point of view. We weren't happy with we thought it, they should have beaten this team by more. We thought they should have gone out and been not been as choppy, been, been a little more efficient. Been a little, they didn't look like themselves yesterday. I've been attributing it to they were just flat. It was just a flat game. But from an analytical perspective, from a, an, an analysis, not a fan perspective, uh, what did you think of yesterday? That they're still being pretty generic on both sides of the football for the most part. Uh, I, I definitely think that, they're trying to keep both their running backs fresh. It does seem like when they play extremely talented opponents like Kansas City games, they know they have to play their best. Nick is going to have a few more carries than Kareem, maybe in that 65-35 range. But yesterday, I think Kareem outcarried Nick, or they were right there, same. I think they're trying to balance those guys out. I thought, although they did a little flea flicker wise screen and they did sprinkle in a reverse, I didn't see a ton of creative play action stuff. Very generic boots. Very generic play action that Baker got sacked on a couple times. I didn't see a ton of creativity there. So I think that they, a little bit of what their process was, if we just show up and play solid football, we can win this game. And there's no real reason to put a ton of things on the docket for teams to scout. We want to keep some things in our back pocket. It's kind of lame to say sometimes. I'm not saying the Browns didn't go out there and aggressively try to win, right. but I just don't think that they had the creative juices flowing like crazy defensively. It remains a, a, a flummoxing situation for me. Like, I don't have a problem with the general cover three, the quarters and cover three that they run. I don't have a problem with some of the man-to-man -man that they sprinkle in every now and again. But they do have a very passive nature about them, Steve. I talked to John Costco at Pro Football Focus. He let me know that they are – let me make sure I quote him correctly here. They have the fifth lowest uh, blitz rate in the NFL right now. Uh, which is what we feel like is carried over from who he was last year and the 13th, 13th, but they are 13th most in safety rotation. That means pre-snap going from close to open or open to close. Since they play cover three, that is not surprising to me, but I did not get an answer from John. I should have asked him about like truly disguising. Like I don't think they're really trying to disguise disguise, like uh, going to the extreme. The chiefs go to the extreme sometimes to disguise. Now they're not the best defensive example in the book right now, but you should do more of that. So what I see <laughs> defensively is like, uh, I, I, I feel like they're playing a passive brand of football and that doesn't mean it needs to be man or zone, or I'm not complaining about that split, but I just feel like they're catching everything that the D the offense, sorry, is throwing at them. They're not the aggressive. 
the aggressors in any scenario. Like they're not attacking concepts they think are coming at them, playing forward, getting their hands on people. You know, you go out and spend draft capital on Denzel Ward, Greg Newsom, Greedy Williams. You go sign John Johnson. You go out and trade for Ronnie Harrison. You aggressively take Grant Delpit in the second round. Like, trust these guys to challenge some people. I, and I'm not saying, again, you don't have to play cover zero, blitz six, and right. seven guys and, and play no help over the top. But what I'm saying is I think that what – I'm not I'm not in the, like, let's fire Steve Wilkes. I'm not doing – or, sorry, Steve Wilkes. Let's not fire Joe Woods, like – I'm not trying to do that. I think, to be honest, I, I really don't know. care. <laughs> I, I do that way more often than I should. <laughs> but with Joe Woods, like, I'm not saying what he's his principal scheme stuff is doing or his general philosophy is wrong. But what I'm kind of getting at is the the attitude at which that they play, the, the that they approach defense is too passive for me. It's almost like they have gone to this, like our guys understand, hey, we're eliminating big, right, Steve? Like they understand we're eliminating big plays. Right. We're not going to let you take anything up the sidelines. We're going to eliminate deep post shots. And now they are playing this brand of football that is passive all the time, like all the time. It's reactionary football. They're not playing as the aggressors. They're reacting. And I know you do have to react on defense. I get that. But sometimes you have to take things to the offense, I think. Right. And I, I'm okay. Like, if they change their defensive aggression to get up in people's faces and challenge offenses and take away some things they're comfortable with, I don't care if they get beat over the top for a touchdown. I couldn't tell you, you know, just sitting here, I couldn't really tell you the last time I remember a Browns player in the last two years, this year, last year, really getting beat, beat over the top for like a 65, 70-yard touchdown. I don't know if you can, Steve, just sitting here thinking on it real quick. And somebody in the comments maybe does. And that's great. That's cool. Like, I love that they eliminate big plays. That is clearly a huge theory of what they do. But at some point, you have better Jimmys and Joes than the other guys. Right. And when are you going to believe in them to go up and get aggressive and challenge people and make life uncomfortable for offenses? Because what I've noticed is the two quarterbacks they've played, and even Davis Mills to an extent got really comfortable, and the two OCs they have faced – have had no clue in understanding what they're going to do. Yeah, John Johnson's play was a bust, though. They were that play was covered. That was just yeah. Like he a wasn't bust. beat over the top yeah, on like, that one. I like, was going to say that. It's a good yeah. answer. That is a long play. It's a seventy-five yard touchdown. You're right. By nature, it is. But I didn't see like I'm talking about. You're up in press and somebody runs by you. Like they're running right. by. Like the uh, think of uh, Donovan Peoples Jones' long touchdown last year, right? right. Like. In Tennessee. So all I'm saying is I would be okay with that every now and again, if they would get more aggressive. And I think sometimes your guys react to the style of which you coach and teach them. You're teaching them to eliminate big plays. You're teaching them to funnel things. Well, okay. Then we're all just going to react in this manner in which, okay, if we just stand in our area, if we guard our grass, it'll work out, right? Like it'll work out and we'll stop them for eight yards and maybe we'll get a third down stop. Nobody is being aggressive about making the actual play that stops somebody. They think it's the guy next to them that's going to make the play. Nah, man, you got to make the play. You got to stop dropping into grass and seek out that crosser. You have to be able to knock a ball down on the sideline on a comeback route. You have to be the guy who shoots a gap on third and two and makes a TFL. Like that stuff, to me, they're just their general aura is passive. And again, I'm not saying I hate it, hate it. I think scheme-wise, the Browns have a solid scheme in place. But what you're doing is you're giving your guys this passive mentality. And when 
And even that interception you're seeing on the screen in front of you, that was just a piss poor throw. It wasn't, it wasn't like if that ball's put out, that's a catch in the 20 yard gain. That's just a piss poor throw. And again, that's a little bit right of what his philosophy is. Make those throws all the time and do it for 10 plays and 12. Right. I, I, I get his general philosophy, but I think they need a defensive mind shift. Like, Hey, we got Miles F and Garrett. We got Jadevian Clowney. We got Malik Jackson. We got dudes. We got Denzel, John, Greedy. And, and, and man, I'm really impressed with Greg Newsom. I know he had an, an, an interference there, but that dude has got some freaking oily hips, dude. He is a dude. He's going to be a dude for a while in Cleveland. We got Grant Delp, but we got Ronnie. You guys got guys. It's not the Anderson Dejos and Carl Josephs of the world, the Terrence Mitchells of the world. You got guys, and what you need to do is pump these SOBs up and make sure they know that they're guys, right? Like, we shouldn't be taking what the offense is giving us. We should be making the offense uncomfortable. And if we're not making them uncomfortable, then what the hell are we doing, Steve? Why do we spend all this money here? We need to take it to the offense and stop being the other way around because if you don't, you're going to continue to have these games where you play down to your competition, right? Like, if you if you play – Bend but don't break. Play, go out there to not lose the football game instead of playing to win. You're gonna play. You're gonna play the Texans 31-21. You're gonna play the Bears 21-17. That's the thing. So make a choice, right? Do you well, believe I, your? Do you believe in yourself? And do you believe you guys can do this? Or are we just gonna continue to just sort of show up and bank on the other team making mistakes? Or are we gonna be the reason that they make mistakes? That's kind of where I'm at with it. Yeah, and uh, there's a question in here uh, from uh, Johnny Brown 19 about uh, third and long, and we saw an example of it just a minute or two ago here. If you're going to do that, and like you said, there are especially against certain offenses. I'm not saying the Texans are one of them, but it's against the Chiefs and other offenses. Make them put together 10, 12, 14 plays because at some point you hope they're going to make a mistake rather than try to give it up. I get that. I agree with it in certain situations. I don't, but I understand the general thought process. But if you're going to keep everything in front of you, if, if the thought process is we're going to keep it in front of us, make them throw it short, and then rally up and stop them short of the sticks, you better make the freaking tackle. And yesterday, a bugaboo that came, that has plagued them for years came back on at least two or three third and longs. They had the guys boxed in, stopped three, four yards short, and just missed tackles. We just saw it, and it extend that extends drives. Right now, if I'm not mistaken, they're the worst team in the league, they're giving up 63 percent of third downs in, in the first two games. Now, hopefully, that turns around. It's only two games, but a lot of that is part of the passive stuff that you're saying, but a lot of it also, and I remember two or three from the Kansas city game, you're there, you're in position to make a play three yards, three yards short of the sticks, break down, wrap up, make the tackle, get your defense off the field. Don't go for the big sports center highlight hit. Okay. Go up there and bring the guy to the ground. That's more exciting to me getting off the field on third ground than having you lay the wood to some guy, especially these days when they can throw a flag on anything. Am I am I wrong that yesterday the uh, the tackling slipped from where it was in, in, at Kansas City? Yeah, I, I, I definitely think it wasn't as good. I haven't seen the exact missed tackle splits, but uh, there were there were certainly times where people were just bouncing off folks and you don't want that. You know, you need to especially if you're going to play a passive defensive approach, wherever they catch the rock, you better get them down right where they end up having it. Right. Because if not, you're just, it's like a double whammy. You know, you can't really afford to let that happen. And uh, that's, that's definitely a big part of things. If you can't tackle, then that's going to be an issue. And 
Uh, it, like we said earlier, man, if they're going to play this passive brand of football, uh, be prepared to pull your hair out because it's just it's a frustrating thing to watch. And to me, I feel like you could play a passive brand of football and pay a ton of people a lot less money or spend a lot less draft picks on defense. So it, it's just it, it's I don't want to call it a out. I'm not trying to blame Joe Woods for everything, right. but I definitely feel like there's a cultural issue with the defense right now. I, I totally understand, Steve, last year. I really do. We talked about it for six months. You didn't have the guys to do it. Right. You, and I, like, that doesn't miss me. Kevin Johnson, not getting it done. Terrence Mitchell, average, but not getting it done to the high level. You could go out and trust him to walk down in someone's face. You obviously have Sandejo and Carl Joseph and a Grant and a, and a Ronnie Harrison who's dealing with all these injuries and is in and out of the lineup and Sheldon Redwine. <clears throat> Think about the names I just dropped. They've improved everywhere and they're not getting the performances from these guys that they improved everywhere so eventually if a guy's really good you went out and signed a guy and he was damn good for four years somewhere else and he's terrible with you it's probably time to look in the mirror it's like okay it's not it's not him it's me what am i doing wrong what are we doing wrong right that has to be a question that is being asked right now and hopefully they come out to pre prepare this week pissed off right like that should be the hope is that they come from not just the players are pissed off but the coaches are pissed off about how do we get this thing right because that game sunday was embarrassing and and i don't think you know people wrote some headlines about if tyrod taylor doesn't go out whatever whatever i don't think that's false because the way the first half was was in, it was a it was a dissection and we know who tyrod taylor is we watched it he is the epitome of a league average nfl quarterback no no better but he can be worse sometimes, but he's no better than league average, even when he's dealing. So I just, uh, I just, that's my, I, again, I use the word concern, Steve. I don't use the word panic. I'm not, right. I am not panicking. If we're having this conversation after who's week 10, uh, if they're having this, we're having this conversation after new England week 10, then that's when I get to panic levels uh, because they, they have plenty of time. This, the 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 excuse is so easy, right? The excuse to me is is super simple. They got a bunch of dudes who are new. <clears throat> they want to make sure they're all on the same page, and they don't want any busted coverages or miscommunications. And we're being generic because of that. I would be less issue. I would have less issue with that if they didn't do the exact same thing last year, which is also explainable because of personnel. But now we're two weeks into this thing. If you include the preseason in the first two weeks of the season, we're five collective weeks into this six. If you include the off week of preparation in between the preseason and the regular season, you, you got no excuses to keep playing football this way. You like, again, you improve your personnel so much. There's no denying it. They have better football players across the board. Use them, man. If you aren't going to use them, then what are we doing? Like what, what, what were you excited about? You know, the video where you're so pumped up about getting JOK in the draft, what are you excited about? What are you doing with him that's unique, right? What are you doing? You're pumped to get John Johnson. What are you doing with John Johnson to unleash hell on people? The same could be asked for several other players. Greedy Williams didn't even play a snap. So <laughs> I'm just sort of I'm, – I'm concerned, Steve. I'm not panicking about it. I need to see a way bigger sample size. But as we sit here right now, I just have general – and I said it earlier – general issues with the with the approach the methodology to how they are affecting the mindset of these defenders in cleveland because i think the passive stuff while great in theory has lent itself to a bunch of dudes who are aggressive guys 
playmaking guys to play passive football. And that is not what you want. And especially when you watch all these other teams across the league who can play aggressive and they're not afraid because ultimately, Steve, if, if you, you play this defense and it's, it's been, but don't break up. We're not going to play a ton of man. Doesn't that all, doesn't that feel like your coach doesn't trust you? Like, Hey man, I can walk up to Tyree kill and I can cover that SOB. Let me do it. You know, watch John Harbaugh say to Lamar Jackson on, on, you know, Sunday night football. Do you want to go for it on fourth down? Well, hell yeah, I want to go for it. Hey, Denzel, do you think you can cover Tyree Kill one-on-one? Hell yeah, I do. Okay, then we're going to give you about 70% of opportunities to do that. Follow that SOB around the field. Hey, uh, 33, do you think you can handle Travis Kelsey? Yeah, okay, we're going to follow you and we're going to get bracket help from our strong safety on about 65% of those plays. That's the stuff I need to see, man. Like, trust and believe your guys can handle these because if you don't think he's able to Travis Kel- to cover Travis Kelsey, how the hell's he going to think that? So that's the stuff to me. It's not, it's not, I say it all the time. It's not what you know as coaches. It never is. You could be the greatest magician with a whiteboard and a marker in the world. You could draw up an answer to every single pass concept. You could draw up a blitz scheme for it. It's what do your players know? What, what do your players know? Cause that's what matters, right? If you can't get the stuff you know in your brain into your player's actual performance, then you're not a good coach. That's a problem. So I'm going to give Joe Woods more time. I think this, the general scheme is fine. It's the stuff, the approach, the attitude, the planning inside of it that I think is flawed right now. So I do want to see that change, and hopefully they get off on the right foot. I'm, I'm going on a tangent, man. I'm sorry, but like – I've studied, I've watched all this tape, all this, all 22 today. I've watched the chief. It's just a, it's a philosophy thing to me. Like I don't, I don't think he's putting confidence into his guys and I don't think his guys are going out there with an aggressive nature. And um, that's where I'm at, man. So, you know, get, get whatever is in your head, man, whatever, you know, whatever you get your dudes to understand it. And if they don't understand it, then that's an, it's a you issue and something they have to take care of. So could you say that uh, them playing passive and, and soft on defense has jumped the shark? You know, I'm going to be honest. I don't really have a great idea what this – what does jump the shark really mean? This I'm, is it. This is what I said early. Younger people don't know. when that. Everybody has said that. things. Uh, when something goes over the edge, when it was cool, it was happy, it was popular, and then it, it got silly. And this is where it all started, September 20th, 1977. I forget what season – of happy days it was, but uh, earlier, like in season three, Fonzie jumped a motorcycle. What over is that a famous ro- movie director doing in this scene? <laughs> yeah, over a row of uh, of uh, school buses, and then later on, for whatever reason, they decided to have him jump a shark in uh, in Southern California. On this is what this is where this saying came from. There's a lot of young people that don't understand this scene is the origin of it. It's so ludicrous. And, and I would just like to say as someone who was there, and I remember watching this live, th- there was a group of executives in Hollywood that not once, not twice, but numerous times sat around an office in meetings and said, yes, this is a good script. Okay. <laughs> this is how silly this was. This is where Jump the Shark came from. This is the origin. 44 years ago today, September 20th, 1977 was when this happened. So uh, I just thought it was an interesting thing, and I wanted to find a way to to work it in uh, to tonight. As anyway, see, and they're all watching. And why are they cheering? What 
I, like it didn't make any sense at the time. And why is he wearing his leather jacket in the water? It just, <laughs> it made no sense. So I wanted to just throw that in there because uh, I, I try to have fun on these shows. So it's like, well. it's like people are doing it. And so everyone's doing it. Well, no, what happened was after that, Happy Days kind of went downhill. People uh, looking back said, okay, once the episode of Fonzie jumping the shark happened, the show was never the same. It when people the, the ratings went down, Ted McGinley came on a season or two later. That's what happened. That was the moment that it went from a popular show that was part of Americana and started its downhill thing. So that's where the phrase jump the shark came from 44 years ago today. And I know you weren't even born then. So um yeah, so I just wanted to throw that in there. Uh, we've been on for almost two hours. You guys have been fantastic in the chat. Uh, Jake, I know you've done a ton of work, so I don't want to leave without giving you a chance. Is there, is there, I know tomorrow you're going to be doing film all night long. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about from yesterday before we get out of here tonight? No, no, that's about it. I mean, we've covered a lot of it. I've put out opinions with, you know, you were uh, nice enough to join my podcast for that immediate reaction yesterday. We did our Twitch show. We've covered a lot of things. Um, I will put up for OBR subs again tomorrow, the defense notes. I'll do a podcast on those defense notes as well. And that'll cover that. Then the next day we'll do offense. We will do a chalk talk tomorrow. We're going to switch those up to Wednesday so that we can have John Stephenson and Kyle Murphy live, right. which will be great to get offensive line study and defensive, uh, performance study That's next week, right? That'll be next week. I hope to get Kyle something recorded with him tomorrow so that we can use it in show. We won't get John. John is too swamped with his stuff uh, on Tuesdays. Uh, so we won't get anything defensively until maybe I put something up on YouTube or something later in the week. Maybe we'll see if his schedule accommodates, but you'll get a full Baker breakdown tomorrow. You'll get all of his throws. You'll get all of his key decisions. So you'll get that uh, just like the old days as we begin. Now that we have some solidarity with the all 22 Kyle Murphy, if you're asking a question, Arizona state grad, he played on those late nineties, Arizona state teams with Jake Plummer. Uh, is a fantastic uh, offensive lineman. He studies it today, coached it, um, and uh, he's been great. We've had him on two shows. We've had him on one of these, and then we had him on uh, – there's a YouTube link you can find out there if you don't know what Kyle talks about, how we've gone through it. We pick about 15 plays from the O-line and break them down. Super insightful dude. Uh, so that'll be the general plan. After tomorrow, we'll, we'll get those two guys and Baker in a two-hour show, uh, and then we will get uh, – uh, just tomorrow that'll be on wednesdays after tomorrow tomorrow's our last tuesday all 22 chalk talk where i'll spend a majority of the time on baker maybe have a little pre-recorded thing with kyle too and um yeah i know this is a good point john jakes and kyle's are everywhere we all I, my, my wife asked me the same i made a uh, like a uh, a shared note of hey these are the people in my life when i have four different johns i talk to and she <laughs> she gets so confused um yeah a lot of stuff a lot of stuff that's the plan That'll be the general plan for every single day of the week uh, for me, especially early in the week. And then we'll always get a preview, a look ahead at who they um, who they have the coming week, too. So a lot of fun stuff on the docket, man. Tomorrow, uh, everything you heard just heard from Jake. Wednesday, Andy and I will be back with Not the Same Old Browns. We've got Aaron Lemming, who is who covers the Bears for CBS Sports. He's going to come in, talk about the Bears. I, I have to imagine we will cover the uh, quarterback situation over there in Chi-Town. Uh, Thursday is uh, OBR Weekly with Barry and Fred. Friday, we will have the roundtable. Saturday morning, I have Bill Carroll, the uh, head of directing for HBCUs. Uh, he will be joining me on the Draft Prospect Show. If you are not following Bill on Twitter and you're interested in the draft, you're not doing it right. The man knows some guys that we absolutely – he's turned me on to some fabulous prospects. 
uh, the last four or five years. He's one of the best there is. He's coming Saturday. And then, of course, Sunday for the pre and post game. We'll be live here on Twitch. We will also be live from Old River Tap and Social on Detroit Road out in Rocky River. So stop out, meet the web dork. Uh, I, I don't know who else is, else is going to be out there this week. We haven't really talked about it yet. Uh, but join us here for that. Uh, as always, uh, for Jake, uh, thank you for coming on. Thanks to Cody Sook. Uh, thanks to the legend Fred Greetham way back at the uh, beginning of the 7 o'clock hour. Thanks to every single one of you in the chat, uh, all the people who gifted subs, all the people who followed. We love you guys. We couldn't do this without – well, we could do it without you, but it would be kind of stupid to just for me and Jake to sit here and talk to each other like this. So we love doing it for you rather than just for us. Uh, for Buinka, the Tiki, for everybody else, for our great producer, Ian, who's done a fantastic job behind the scenes tonight. Thanks for tuning into the OBR Twitch. We will see you tomorrow for Jake's film breakdown. Uh, go watch some Monday Night Football and go Browns. Look, man, it's still so early. There's so much to figure out. We need a way bigger sample size. I know you want your Cleveland Browns to thump everybody, and it would have felt great to sort of Prove it to yourself, right? You play the Chiefs week one, and you, you're so close, and you believe you're so great, and then you lay an egg against the Texans. But I'm just telling you, it's it's second nature. It's not second nature. It's just human nature sometimes to lay an egg against uh, when you're coming off a huge emotional high that was week one and all that came with traveling back to Kansas City. And it just happens, man. So I'm more interested in how they play week three. You're at home two weeks in a row. You have a good Bears team coming in outside. Their offense is obviously their quarterback play. We'll see who ends up starting. Their offensive line is rough. But their defense really produced last week, like really produced a ton of quarterback hits, three interceptions, multiple sacks. They're going to present the best defense Cleveland has seen so far. So it will be a really great challenge when Chicago comes in. Obviously, we will have the chalk talk. We'll have multiple things through the course of the week. I will have a behind enemy lines to get you prepared for everything about the Chicago Bears and what they bring to First Energy Stadium. As this podcast is built to do, it's built to inform you. If you have questions, concerns, discussion points, if you want to respectfully chat, DMs are always open. Always welcome those things. Otherwise, join me on the Chalk Talk Show. I have some uncomfortable things I want to share about how Baker played and just talk to you about it. Explain where I'm coming from and where that young man's leaving some... uh, some yards and touchdowns out on the field. And it's just something we have to talk about. Doesn't mean I don't believe in Baker. It's just a, it's just the the way the game unfolded for him. So we'll talk about that 7:30 Eastern time. Join me. Thanks to Stephen Thomas for being in that segment, right? Hosting it. That was cool. Sorry, you get to hear from him two days in a row. It's my guy. Hopefully he doesn't bother you. I he's a great host. Uh, otherwise, yeah, man, we'll be back. I'll do offensive breakdown with you guys tomorrow. If you want, let me know on Twitter. I can throw the Baker Chalk Talk in the podcast. If you guys, if enough people tell me on on Twitter, hey, man, can you throw in the audio of the Baker breakdown? I'm willing to do that. If you want me to, if I don't hear from anybody, I won't do it. It's hard to it's hard to just have the audio on there and not have the visual aid uh, to see more of sort of what happened. But if you're an audio only person and that's of interest to you. More than willing to do it, but I'd need to hear from people to, to to do that. Otherwise, I'm wasting I'm wasting time. Anyway, thanks for as usual the same caveats I always say. You share this podcast, the downloads are crazy. Your support means the world to me. Thank you so much, uh, personally and to you, and uh, for for everything you do. Kind of checking in and on my opinions and thoughts on the OBR film breakdown. Have a great Tuesday, guys, uh, and you know, go Browns.
This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.